gospel, invite you to remain standing for the reading of God's word. From Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let me tell you two different stories about finding gold. Growing up in California, and you get your California history, I know all about Coloma and the gold rush. In 1848, James Marshall, who had come west because his doctor said in 1847, go west for your health. I don't know how that works, but he said, go west. He was a carpenter, and he met John Sutter, and John Sutter asked him if he would build a sawmill for him. And so he began to build a sawmill on the South Fork of the American River. And on January 24th, 1848, after the mill had been built and he's looking at the trail race, which is the flume that the water flows from the water wheel, he sees specks of gold. He goes and tells John Sutter, and they vow to keep it a secret. <laughs> nope. It said that over 300,000 people came to California in that gold rush to be called the 49ers. It completely reshaped the West of the United States and transformed it. It said in 19, excuse me, 1852, they took out an equivalent of $2.7 billion worth of gold from the Sierra Nevadas. Interesting note, James Marshall and John Sutter did not get any of the gold. It went elsewhere. California gold rush. Now new one for me, not for you, the Lost Dutchman Gold Mine. The Lost Dutchman Gold Mine. The story, mixed with truth and legend, goes that Jacob Waltz either discovered or was shown an incredible vein of gold, maybe in the Superstition Mountains, but never to be seen or found again. As a result of secrets and attacks and untimely deaths, the vein has been unfound. Maybe says that yearly over 9,000 people go in search of the Lost Dutchman Mine, and estimates are that 600 people have lost their lives while searching for it. One gold discovery, completely by accident, one gold discovery, maybe not yet, but hidden. Treasure has a powerful pull on us. Lost gold, riches. Which is why I think when Jesus tells his parables, it had an incredible pull on the people at the time and continues to pull us today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask today, Lord, that your word would have as good result in us. That by the work of your Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Our Lord and Redeemer, we pray in your son's name. Amen. In 2016, Marie Kondo took our country by storm. She wrote a book entitled The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. How many people know who Marie Kondo is? Oh, you gave in, didn't you? So Marie Kondo said that in order to declutter her house and her life was to toss everything away that did not spark joy in you. 
If this shirt doesn't spark joy, get rid of it. If this lamp doesn't spark joy, get rid of it. Is the husband, no, 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 don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. And then, although probably every one of us needed help uncluttering our house and our lives, it really, I think what caught people was the idea of finding joy. We all long for joy in our lives. Now, the interesting thing is Maria Kondo has come out recently and said she no longer follows her principle. She now has three kids. <laughs> and she realizes the uncluttered house is not the secret to joy. It, spending time with her kids and being there to enjoy them is her secret. But, you know, the goal probably never was to clean the house. That was the side benefit. The ultimate goal, goal was to find joy. I love our opening hymn today, Joyful, Joyful. Um, and I really appreciate the third verse. You know that verse that we go, isn't this song over yet? You know, no one pays attention to the third verse. This is what it says. Always giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. Loving Father, Christ our brother, let your light upon us shine. Teach us how to love each other. Lift us to the joy divine. I said joy is such a deep emotion. And it's something that we all long for, that we're seeking after. So let's see how that plays into our parables today. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. So remember James Marshall, a carpenter, he was not seeking gold. He was building a sawmill. And in the midst of that, he discovered gold gold. And here we have the story of a man who was not seeking gold. He was plowing a field and he finds treasure. And this might sound really strange to us, like plowing a field and you find treasure. But the commentator William Barclay helps understand, helps me understand. In first century of Palestine, there weren't banks. You can go put your money in the bank. Um, you know, we're used to, uh, we heard about people putting cash in mattresses or squirreling away in a coffee can or different things. Well, here they took their treasures and they hid it. And especially if there was word about maybe strife coming, a war, a battle, that they would take their treasure and bury it in the field so it couldn't be taken by the incoming army. Problem was, every once in a while, people would lose their lives in a war or battle. And that treasure remained unknown to everyone, buried in that field. So here is the farmer plowing a field. And, um, you know, you remember the story of Jesus talking about the talents, the 10 talents, five talents, one talent. And what did the person with the one talent do? Matthew 25, 18. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money, afraid to lose it. So here we have this man who has hit something when he's plowing, another rock from his field. How many more are there going to be? He just wanted to plant a harvest. And there's just rock after rock in his field. And now he's hit another rock. So in frustration, you can see him gets down on his hands and knees, starts digging out to pull one more boulder out, but then realizes, wait, it's, this is different because there's no boulder. And he finds it. There's a box. There's a bag. And what is it? But it's in it. He opens it up, and it's filled with treasures. So quickly, he covers it up and puts it down, buries it back. And now a second principle comes into play, which we don't know much about, or maybe we do. It's from the rabbinical law, and it says this. What finds belongs to the finder. What finds must one cause to be proclaimed? These finds belong to the finder. 
If a man finds scattered fruit, scattered money, those belong to the finder. In other words, finders keepers, right? Finders keepers. So it was his. So he did everything he could. It was probably a rented field. And so now he went and sold everything he had in order to buy the field so the treasure was his. What he had found had such value and overwhelmed him with such joy that he was willing to sell everything to possess it. So now the second parable, verse 44, 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything he had that he might have bought it. So Jesus gives us the story of a laborer in the field, and now we have a wealthy merchant. Wealthy merchant, because not everyone can just deal in pearls. Pearls were of, of value, and they weren't from the area. They were from a far-off land. And so here's this person who had been searching and searching for the greatest pearl. And you can see him buying and selling, going through marketplace and buying and selling. Look at pearls, seeing the imperfections. No, that's a good one. I'll keep one. I'll trade you this, everything. That's been his whole life, is looking for the ultimate pearl. And then suddenly in his search, the market, he stumbles upon the pearl of great value, the one he's been looking for all his life, so much so that he's willing to sell everything in order to possess it. So what do these two parables have in common? One, what they found brought them overwhelming joy. And second, the joy was so great that they're willing to sacrifice everything to possess it. So let's look at the first one. What they found brought them overwhelming joy. In the Greek, there are multiple words for joy. Some words for joy uh, aren't that meaningful, like, oh, joy, mom's coming over, you know. <laughs> or, uh, oh, man, I just enjoy when you're here. You know, the ex exuberance or whatever, happiness, there's joy. But here in this passage, and early throughout the New Testament, is the word chara. The word chara means to experience the fullness of the finished work of Christ, of our salvation in him, the hope we have in him. This is a joy that is referenced throughout the New Testament. And in fact, the whole message of the New Testament is the proclamation of God saving work in Christ. It is the message of joy. It's in the narrative when Zechariah is promised joy and gladness. When Elizabeth and Mary meet, it says the baby inside Elizabeth leapt with joy, and Mary leapt with joy. It's when a lost sinner is found, and it says there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Over and over in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul talks joy when someone experiences the love of Christ and salvation. And it's this joy that's the subject of the parables. The treasure, the pearl of great price, is the knowledge of what God has done in Christ. Everything you've been searching for, everything you've been longing for, is found in knowing the love of God. And it's interesting, in both cases, the treasure was hidden. That, that underscores the mysteriousness of who God is and what God has done. Uh, Pastor Steve, in all of his parables, has been talking about the mystery of God, the seed which grows at night, the seed that grows without the farmer working. Well, here, that message is hidden. So the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, he says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That God is doing his work within us, putting his life within us. And it can be hidden to the world, but God reveals it to us. And in the revealing of this truth, we understand 
God's work in Christ on our behalf that leads to joy. It is said the treasure tells all. So that leads to the second and most important step. Recognizing the treasure is one thing. Possessing the treasure takes another step. Del Bruner wrote, joy enables the selling, but only selling gets the treasure. So what's that mean? So our second point. The joy was so great, they were willing to sacrifice everything to possess it. Now, in both parables, the finder finds joy. You can find joy, but it says then they needed to sell everything in order to possess it. That's what was giving joy. Now, and it wasn't a wheeling and dealing. Let me see if I can hold on to this other stuff and get this on the side, get a great deal. No, it was an unabashed selling everything because of the immensity of what they'd found, that there was no sense of loss or sacrifice on their part because of what they had gained. So for both finders, selling becomes a consequence, not the condition for finding that which gives joy. Seeing and experiencing God's love is what comes first not trying to follow a set of rules or fulfill some accomplishment. I love when the psalmist writes in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. First taste, see what God has done, and then take refuge in God. Once found, selling is in fact a condition for having the treasure. It's here we begin to understand really what discipleship means and looks like. In the treasure, God has revealed the mystery which is hidden from the ages. He's revealed to us that life is found in Jesus. In him we are loved. In him we are forgiven. In him we have our very being. It's all through the work of Christ on the cross. But it does no good just to stare at the treasure. Staring at it, pondering it, does not bring life. Staring at it, pondering it, does not bring life. What brings life? is our giving ourselves fully to Jesus, selling everything. I love this quote by Tim Keller. It helped me understand this principle, uh, just adopting, not just thinking of Jesus as another self-help principle. He says this, spiritual treasure never improves your, uh, your life. It completely remakes you. Every part of your life is revolutionized. Jesus is not an add-on. And oh, by the way, I go to church. And oh, yeah, I'm a member here. Jesus is not an add-on. To have this joy means to go all in. So here's the question for each of us, for me just as much as you. Is that what is it that we hold on to? What is it that we allow to be more important in our life than Jesus is? Now, there are clearly things in the world that have value. The merchant with the, who had been uh, selling and buying pearls all along, been finding pearls, and that's a great pearl. That one's not so good. These are wonderful. They're valuable. People love them. But what is it that really gives value in our lives? There's value to be found in music and the arts. There's value to be found in philanthropy. There's value to be found in, in caring for others and celebrating stories of great feats and climbing mountains and in winning championships. But each of these has their beauty, but none of them compares to the beauty of the pearl of great price. Here again what Dale Bruner says. He says, joy is the engine of sacrifice. If it were not that, neither the farmer nor the businessman thinks he is making a sacrifice by selling everything because of the treasure. Selling was not a sacrifice. It was smart. It was joy. So how's your joy level? 
Do you look around and wonder if maybe you're missing something? Is a Christian life maybe not what you thought it was supposed to be? Well, let me encourage you to do two things. First, look anew at the cross of Christ. Look anew at what God has done in Jesus. Look anew at the life that's offered, forgiveness that comes, the sacrifice that's been given. Experience anew the word become flesh. And then second, maybe it's time to do a little spiritual Marie Kondo and start asking whether the things you've been holding on to really bring joy. Again, some of those things might be good things, but have we given them too much importance in our life? Have we made them, we think, the pearl of great price? Remember, the merchant was willing to sell everything in order to possess it. Or maybe we've been holding on to sin and bitterness. You know, those become possessions also. We hold them tightly. And maybe it's time to let those go so that we might experience God's love. Tim Keller, again, told a story that was really helpful. He talks about a man who brought a businessman to the shore, the ocean. And he said to them, I will sell to you the third wave coming in. And the man said, just look at that. that. That's ridiculous. Why would I buy the third wave? He says, it's a great wave. Look at it. It's formed beautifully. He says, yeah, but as soon as it breaks on the shore, it's just going out and it's gone. Well, Keller says, maybe the things we hold on to, those possessions, those different things, They've just gone to just a little slower. What are you holding on to? I love the imagery of Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witness surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking only at Jesus the originator and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There it is, that word again, joy. For joy, Jesus endured the cross. For joy, we can run the race. Now, I know it's probably hard to tell, but I was a cross-country runner in high school. Be careful. Okay. None of that. None of that. But we had... We actually had a really good cross-country team, and we worked hard. And it was one of those days that we were going to do an overrun. We were doing about 12 to 14 miles that day. And this is in California and Sacramento. It's in the fall, and it starts to get kind of cool. California actually does actually get cold, and then, you know, not like Arizona. So, and so, like, and there are clouds in the sky, you know, rain, it happens. And so um, I thought, well, I'm going to wear my sweats today for the run. And back then, uh, it was jersey sweats. And it just started off and felt great. And then it started to rain. I go, oh, good, I got my sweats on. And then it started raining. And then it kept raining and kept raining. And Jersey just soaks it all up. And now I'm carrying an extra 30 pounds of running. And I go, I've got 10 more miles to run. And so the only choice was to take the sweats and strip them off and throw them to the side and finish the workout. Needed to run unencumbered. Well, that's what God invites us to do, is not only to see the joy but to rid ourselves of anything that keeps us from experiencing his joy. Those things we hold on to, which at the time can seem like great things, but do they help us run the race? Do they help us experience all that God has for us?
The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1, he says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Both the man in the field and the pearl merchant had their eyes opened to the treasure of God's amazing love. The result was joy, and the action was to sell everything, to be all in. So as we come this day to celebrate communion, I encourage you to, to, to do two things, especially if you're maybe feeling a little low on the joy level. First, look anew at what God has done in Christ, at the cross of Christ and our life that's found in his love and his forgiveness. And then second, consider if there's anything that maybe you'd like to, to give up, to sell, to go all in and leave it there on the table of Christ.